Here we go. Neutron, proton, mass defect, lyrical oxidation, your irrelevant mass spectrograph, your electron volt, atomic energy erupting as I get all open on betatrons, gamma rays, thermal cracking, cyclotron, any and every mic you earn, transuranium, if y'all was uranium, molecules, spontaneous combustion, Pow. law of definite proportion, game, ink weight, I'm every element around. Welcome to Spark Science, where we explore stories of human curiosity. I'm Jordan Baker, professional improviser, scuba diver, uh, science enthusiast, host. Nah, let's <laughs> not go that far. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> That'll be like five years from now. Right. Yeah. Once I feel like I know something yeah. at all. And I'm here with Regina Barber de Graff. Yep. That's me. I teach uh, physics and astronomy at Western Washington University. I am an astrophysicist and a pop culture enthusiast. And I have seen Jordan improvise. I finally went, listeners, yeah. I finally actually went to his show. He's great. I'm a little biased. but right. <laughs> You sound like my grandma. <laughs> After she saw one of my shows, she was like, I love everything that you did. Right. <laughs> Thanks, grandma. But I, I think our listeners, if you are in Bellingham, you should definitely check out the Upfront. Jordan's usually on the Thursdays and Fridays. Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Yeah. Depends on my work schedule. Right. Maybe we should tell listeners when you're on, on Facebook in the future. Yeah. Maybe we should do that. Absolutely. Yeah. Everybody should come see comedy. I mean, it's everybody true. likes to laugh, right? I Yes. You know what? And I think comedy is essential to people's lives, really. And I think maybe you should watch more of it instead of maybe your TV shows. I mean, really? this is like a TV show that you'll never, ever, ever see again. Wait, are you making fun of my TV? No. Don't go see Jordan. No. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> How dare you. All right. Well, today we are going to talk about the history of math. And we have with us today an awesome guy, another Western professor, a colleague of mine, Dr. Amitesh Sarkar. Is uh, that, is that yeah, right? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Hi. How's it going? It's going very well. Yeah. yeah. And he's actually seen maybe at least or listen to one of our shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. It's like was glowing. He, wasn't he there for the Pluto he revealed? Was. So yeah. yeah, that's technically, yeah, so he, he listened to it. So I'm a veteran. Yeah. <laughs> you know exactly what's going to happen. Well, so we're going to talk about basically the history of math. You do, you teach a class on yes. this? Yes. Yes. In fact, I taught it today. So Did you I, really? I teach it uh, quite quite a lot and uh, I enjoy it very much. So, so it's incredible. Yeah. So you're, you're on it. You're, you're going to answer all these questions. It's going to be great. Is it a very popular class? It is actually. It's surprising. Um, it, I, <laughs> you're I a mathematician. You're like, oh my you, God. <laughs> you walk into a classroom and it's full of people. But, right. but yeah, people are interested. And the beginning of the quarter, I asked them, you know, what are they, what are they interested in specifically? And I get all these different answers. So it's it's interesting right. other than just a plain like math they don't say that yeah i think some of them are taking it because they need to get a writing proficiency requirement but they're very polite about it so after i've listened <laughs> to them all say what their what their interests are then I, i'm kind of speechless for a little while because i'm sort of happy that they, they are interested and right. it's hard to respond to 20 interested people at once i so. do want to let our listeners know is that one of the first times i met amitesh he actually asked me oh, I'm actually interested in astronomy. What did you do? And I was taken aback. I was like, somebody's actually asking me what I did from my research and they're interested. So I want to thank you for that. That was really nice. But well, I, Sure, but I wasn't faking it. I really <laughs> was. The trouble with science is it's, it's actually too interesting because if, you, if you're a scientist or a mathematician, you're supposed to be doing just one thing, like writing a paper, but then right. you get sidetracked. You have a conversation with someone, you think, oh, I'll look into that. Or you go to a conference and you think, oh, I'll look into that. And then sooner or later, you know, you, you haven't done any grading, you haven't prepared your classes. Right. You haven't written your paper. Yeah. You've done nothing. And, you know, so that's... Uh, yeah. So it's too interesting. That's the problem with math. 
I wanted to ask you about yourself. Where did you grow up? I, I, I know our listeners will hear you're our first accented um, guest, which I'm super excited about. Where are you from? How did you, why did you come to Bellingham? And uh, what do you do research-wise? And then we'll get into like the history of math. Yeah, I, I was born in, in London, and uh, I actually had an Indian accent till I was 13, and my parents sent me away to a boarding school, and I got this posh accent. Uh, <laughs> wow. I, uh, I came to Bellingham. Um, if you're an academic, you apply to jobs all over the place, and uh, Bellingham Western was one of the places I applied to. And out of all the places that I got jobs, it was by far the best, and I absolutely love it here. So really? I've been here for eight years, and I think it's great, yeah. Did you go to undergrad in, in London? In, in England, so in okay. Cambridge, and then I did a PhD there as well. You went to Cambridge. So, you came here. Mm-hmm. Where did you go for um, grad school? Oh, also Cambridge. Okay, just Cambridge the whole, all the way through. The whole thing was wasted on me. I mean, you're, you're walking around these quadrangles where Newton and Maxwell and all these yeah, people, right? but you just think, yeah, yeah, Newton, Maxwell. And now I think, wow, Newton, Maxwell. I should have, <laughs> I should have been kind of like, you know, like uh, taking mental photographs of every step I took. But... So let's get, let's get to the mm, history of math. Yeah. So what is like, how do you bring your students into this course? Like, what's the beginning of this course like? Uh, well, the beginning is like I, I ask them what, what they're interested in, yeah. but very soon uh, after I've got their very sophisticated responses, I just ask <laughs> them to write down what mathematics is. Right. So I give them index cards and, and I say, well, write down what you think mathematics is. I get 20 completely different answers, but they're all very th- well thought out things. And I compare them with the dictionary definitions, which are almost always much more boring. Right. Uh, and then we talk about just what mathematics has been throughout the ages, because the meaning is of, of words change. This right. is one of the one of the things I bring up. Um, the word, the meaning of the word mathematics has certainly changed. That just gets us into thinking about mathematics uh, before getting into the kind of it began with the dinosaurs kind of thing. Just, when just the to dinosaurs warm everybody were doing up. algebra. It's always nice to kind of start off and just not, you know, not go straight into it. What are some of the definitions that they give you? Like some in your memory that have like stood out? Yeah, they sort of they they sort of say things. It's about ideas, which of course always pleases me a lot. Um, <laughs> so it's about ideas and the connections between ideas. Um, some of them go completely overboard. So the more the more overboard they go, the more exciting it is. Like it's about you know the understanding the meaning of life and all this stuff. And some of them are much wow. more kind of like down to earth and say it's about you know numbers and patterns and shapes and connections and logic and. Right. So there's a whole there's a whole spectrum. Well, how big is the index card? You need to give them smaller. Index yeah, cards. I give them a I give them a fairly, but some of them write the fill the whole thing, you know, and some of them just write, I don't know. Well, they, they just write some very short thing. You right. Know, so math is math. Mm-hmm. Have you ever gotten that one? I've never got that one. But they're trying to. They're all kind of like fresh for the quarter, so they're trying to be in a good mood and right. impress not me maybe, but trying to kind of just take it seriously. And you and then you were saying the idea of mathematics has changed. So how has it changed? Yeah, I think now much more it's it's somehow um, maybe it was a more practical thing in the past. Maybe, uh, you know, people were only doing it if there was some pressing need to do it. Uh, although always there's been there's been this theoretical aspect. But yeah. I think, for example, in the 19th century, it was tied very much more to kind of specific areas of study. Right. And now somehow, you know, there's mathematics in lots of different um, areas. And people have sort of expanded the definitions to include really any type of chain of precise reasoning is now called mathematics okay whereas before it would have had to have been about calculus or geometry or algebra or something like that okay so it's become a more kind of soft definition rather than tied to a specific thing i do not understand the soft definition either i mean (laughs) so i maybe i should take this class i could sit in you'll be very welcome then what do you get into? Like, do you get into people of history or do you get ideas if, in history? Yeah, both, actually. I try, try and weave the two together. Yeah. Well, one of the things that is that access to information is 
is everywhere. So yeah. uh, unlike when I was a child, you know, if you want to go and find out about Newton or Leibniz or Descartes, you can just go and look up about Newton or Leibniz or Descartes. So right. I try and keep it, you know, I'm not going to go through these mathematicians in this order, but I try and weave it into kind of one story, yeah. um, which is difficult because it's a pretty long story. Yeah. And I only have got 30 classes right. uh, and I want to involve the students as well. So it shouldn't just be me talking. So I have various discussion topics, but I try and find some kind of theme, you know, like maybe this is we're going to talk about equations for a while. And now we're going to talk about, you know, geometry for a while yeah. and just how how the, you know, geometry has changed. And and also how maybe how the Greeks, the, just the paradoxes that the Greeks couldn't resolve, like they couldn't resolve Zeno's paradox and, and just talk about, you know, how this looks from a modern perspective. OK, what's Zeno's paradox? Yeah, yeah so Zeno's so I don't, paradox don't know why is, is they couldn't with, figure that one okay. out. <laughs> so Achilles and the tortoise. So they're running a race and, and the, the tortoise starts ahead, but it's going more slowly. And the idea is that when... Uh, when Achilles has got to where the tortoise started, then the tortoise has moved on. Right. And then so then when Achilles is caught up with the tortoise, then the tortoise has moved on a little bit further. But he's so going on. slower. He's going more slowly. So right. of course we know he's going to catch him up. And it's right. second nature to students now to visualize graphs of the Achilles and the tortoise. But right. for the Greeks, somehow this was a paradox. Uh, and so it requires a bit of brain rotation to figure out why, you know, why it was a, a genuine paradox to them. And they couldn't just say, well, look uh, these graphs cross right and so sometimes sometimes the, the the thing is to put yourself in the shoes of, of people who thought in a different way so they didn't have zero they didn't have i mean they dealt with fractions in a different way they didn't have algebra yeah you know so all this stuff i mean and, and you can really it's really it's really quite mind expanding thinking about how they thought of these things right um but you can't do that too much otherwise you never never get very far so well you're you're amazing me about these this graph i mean because when you said that it's funny that i instantly did go to the graph in mm. my head i mean this is just the way we're taught this mm -hmm. is how we were raised in university to think in these graphs but mm. when did that start yeah with descartes i guess descartes had the idea of sort of combining algebra and geometry okay and actually it's a coincidence for me because just today uh, one of my students is doing a, a, a paper on descartes and she brought uh, descartes book la géométrie uh, with her uh, and we had the French and the English and we were looking through trying to find out where this idea of drawing graphs of equations comes from yeah uh, and the original context was amazingly complicated it was a problem of Pappus you have five lines you have a point you want to draw lines to those five lines making various angles and so that the distances have a relationship so incredibly complicated problem wow and that's the problem that sparked Descartes to have this nowadays very simple idea of drawing a graph so what year was and this so exactly this was 1637 okay and so this was this book was an appendix to this famous book a discourse on the method which was the um where he says uh, je pense donc je suis uh, so oh, it means yeah. i think therefore i am okay also, there we go uh, so then uh, but th this this preface was actually kind of somehow this is the famous thing that everyone reads about in philosophy but it was actually just a preface to three books one on optics one on geometry and one on meteorology Oh, wow. So, Is it just Descartes, I mean, or were there other people in other parts of the world that were doing similar things around the same time, or maybe before or after? There were people doing similar things at the same time. Yeah. Um, so, for example, one of the things that Descartes does in his book is he draws tangents to curves. He finds an algebraic way, and that was also being done by Fermat and Newton right. and so on right. around the same time. But maybe a bit later. I think that this is one of the things that you find is that a lot of the time the same thing was done by people in different places at yeah. different times and or maybe the same time. It's just they didn't um, have 
his many published books, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and also just, uh, right, I mean, it's a bit of a coincidence where they were born, did they have access to you right. know, other other sort of books? They should have just posted it on the internet. Right. I mean, yeah. that, that, that way they could have collaborated. <laughs> Why didn't they? Uh, who knows? Well, they should have invented it earlier. They should have. What amazes me, and as you're talking about this and from other discussions I've had with people, the idea of zero is just so hard. The idea of zero, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And this is, this is one of the things that you know students have a hard time with, with math, and I think it's really important for them to know that the, the human race had a hard time with it, and the inventors of the stuff that they're learning about had a hard time with it too. Right. I mean, people are always telling me fractions are so easy. You know, how come you know my child can't learn fractions, or how come you know my teacher couldn't teach fractions? It's like right. fractions took a long time for the human race to get their heads round, and, yeah. and zero is another thing. You know, yeah. zero. The Greeks didn't have zero. You know, this came from India, and only about a thousand years ago, which is a lot more recent than a lot of the math that people learn in school, like wow. Pythagoras' theorem or whatever. It came to us from India about a thousand years ago. How did how did it come about? Yeah, I don't know, but I was reading. <laughs> I, this is I, well, this there is was the somebody thing about, had nothing, yeah. <laughs> and it's, he was sad about it. <laughs> it's interesting because you say that you don't know much about history. That the yeah. embarrassing thing is, I don't know much about history either. Because yeah. when I was a child, we were taught basically the history of uh, battles that were won by the English. Right. You know, that's how they teach. Uh, I think George Orwell said, "This is what the, you teach history in, in British schools." It's just the. Um, just these battles and of course the mathematics right. doesn't really come into it and why yeah. would anyone want to learn about battles that were won by the, the British or the English it's just it's not uh, well, English not very, do. well but I mean <laughs> even, but really I mean I don't know I, I was probably know. not the only person who's but now that I'm interested in math yeah I can go back and and say well okay so now I'm interested in this so let's look at the life of Cardin, Leibniz, Descartes, Galois and yeah. then as I get interested in that then I get interested in thinking about how did they live? You know, what were they? What were what were they thinking of other than mathematics? Right. And I hope my students kind of think that as well. Right. And then you get start to get drawn into it. Like I became very interested in the you know the um, revolutionary France in the eighteen thirties. Right. And books by Louis Blanc and Stendhal and all these people, but only through reading about the, the, the math. mathematician Galois, <laughs> right. whose you know whose story I was captivated by. So. Three, that's a magic number. It is. It's the magic number. Three. Somewhere in this hip-hop soul community was born three mates dubbing me, and that's the magic number. Spark Science is an all-volunteer run show, and if you'd like to help out, go to kmre.org and click on the button donate. Today we are joined by a colleague of mine at Western Washington University, awesome guy, mathematician. He teaches the history of math, but he also teaches many other math classes, Dr. Amitesh Sarkar. Welcome back to Spark Science. We're talking with Amitesh about the history of math. Um, so I know we talked about zero, basically they thought it was an impossible number. How did they come up with zero like zero money like coins and everything like that and monetary values like how did they 
once they ran out, what did they call it? That's a great, great question. So one of the things is that coins were invented a long time before the, the concept of zero was really um, sort of created in the way we know it. One of the things I, I learn about when I'm te teaching this course is that just the impact of other things that happen. So um, the, the, the history of counting even, counting came before writing. I, di I didn't realize this. That uh, Oh, yeah. Um, it was only known recently how this happened is that people would, would have various sort of um, tokens which represented property. And then they would seal them, make these tokens and put them in a clay ball and bake the ball and seal them in this clay ball. And then if there was a property dispute, they would break open these clay balls and see who had what tokens. Uh, and then... Uh, oh, wow. People no, really, I did not what, know so, so, right, I didn't know it either. Uh, what people used to do was they used to press the tokens into the side of the clay ball to avoid breaking the clay ball. And that was counting, really. So, that they, you know, owned 200 goats. You'd press the, the 100 goat token in twice, making two 200 goat shape. Uh, and then uh, that was counting, and that became writing eventually. Wow! So I learned about the history of writing through this, and also the um, coins. Coins was a, a really key discovery because when people started making them, it meant that, that trade could be um, facilitated, but also people could accumulate huge amounts of wealth. Right. Because it's probably very difficult to store five thousand sheep, yeah. but yeah. if you just have a load of coins, then you yeah. can store it. So there became this concentration of wealth, so inequality of wealth, and that led to a leisure class. Yeah. And so that leisure class could then um, spend their time, you know, being freed from farming the fields. They could uh, do math and science. And, and this isn't my theory. I think this is actually Aristotle's theory that uh, he wrote it down, that uh, the invention of coins led to, the, led to the formation of this leisure class who could study oh, no. uh, astronomy, science, mathematics, right. geometry. Leisure class in the betterment of human, not just leisure class in like, you know... I'm not sure, actually. This is the sort of I thing know, that we yeah. don't really know about. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's just that uh, it was important to have people who didn't have to do anything. Oh, my. And no, it totally is. And this is it goes against everything I believe in. Right. I mean, this whole like, I'm a class warrior inside. I mean, like our Superman episode that we were talking about. But you're right. I mean, if you aren't, you know, being a farmer or you're not working hard, then you can do science. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that's so horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so conflicted right now. I'm also a class warrior, but yeah. it's, it's just interesting to read this stuff. And you yeah. sort of read it, putting everything to one side and think it was just a different. But but yeah, yeah the, the connection is that, you know, the invention of coins, the invention of the printing press, the invention yeah. of a telescope. These were things that happened. And then you can see how they how quickly they affected right. uh, mathematics, science and, and the society in general. Well, I mean, so. Kepler and Tycho, right? I mean, Tycho Brahe had all the all the money and he was the financier. And, you know, I mean, he liked science and he took data, but he, I mean, if he didn't have money, then none of that stuff would That's have happened. That's absolutely true. And one of the things I really did learn the first time I taught this course is I always thought he had a telescope. No, But he had he no doesn't. telescope. He had a 37-foot quadrant instead. Yes, he did. Because the telescope hadn't been invented. And so well, it had. It had, it been. had been invented. So, so um, Galileo was uh, experimenting with mm -hmm. like um, using a telescope that was invented for nautical reasons. Uh -huh. And he started pointing it to the sky. And he was modifying it and playing with lenses. And he actually sent one to Kepler. Mm -hmm. And Kepler got to use it for about a month. Oh, when he was okay. working under Tycho, but yeah, they, they Tycho and Kepler were not using um, a telescope. Um, he they did see one for about a month. It's and amazing to me that they made all those observations. Yeah, one, it it is, and um, it's very sad actually because Galileo was giving all these telescopes away to like rich people and like, uh -huh. as gifts, and Kepler was like, I would like one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he, yeah. And he only so got Galileo it for a month. Held back the history of science. By yes, kind of he his did. Generosity, you know. So well, or yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Maybe he didn't like Kepler or something like that. I don't know what that was about. This is all stuff I read. Yeah, I heard about a crazy feud between the two. It was like 300 goats or something. (laughs) Funny you talk about feuds. Tycho's body has been exhumed twice. It's been exhumed twice. So this is one of the things that I talk to my students. They're trying to find out how he died. They're trying to find out what his nose is made of. Correct. And I never read the news story. So what was his nose made of? of? Why is this a controversy? So the reason it's interesting, he got interested in alchemy because he lost his nose in a a, a a duel. duel. Age 20. Nice. And then he had to have a, a, a prosthetic nose made yes. out of, I don't know, what was it made of? Bronze. Bronze. That's what they Bronze made. beak? Yeah. That's- and he was famous. This famous story is that he died because he had this big banquet and it was manners at the time to not get up and go to the bathroom during the meal. But oh. the meal was so long that he was just sitting there and sitting there, sitting there. And people um, thought he, his bladder burst and then he died. So um, this was the rumor. Did that happen? Um, they think it might have actually happened because mm. so many people were like, no, it wasn't the bladder. Kepler poisoned him. Right, right. That's what um, I heard. Or maybe he poisoned himself accidentally. Right. With no, but they don't think it was something. poison. It's, it's, uh-huh. it, they said it's inconclusive, but they were, po- they were saying the bladder thing isn't as far-fetched as people thought. Mm-hmm. So that's what, that's what I read for my class because we also talk about Kepler and uh, Tycho. And this is, um, when is all this? 17? Yeah, when is? The, uh, yeah, I, I uh, hmm. I know. Kepler's I, laws are about 1619, so Tycho must have been about 1600 or something okay. like that. Is that right when he started making RC cars? The Tycho? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Same Tycho. guy. That, well, yeah. yeah. Duh. Yeah. I mean, he's got a yeah. bronze nose. That was just he was faking his own death. Right. That wasn't really his body. That yeah, was. that's right. Yeah. I'm glad we had you on because talking about th- these historical things, we're jumping around kind of, not chronological, but these great stories that exist associated with science or associated mm-hmm. with math really do open up your eyes like you said you didn't even know that they didn't have telescopes and mm-hmm. it's it, for me it gives me so much more respect for people and when people say oh things are backwards you know they just didn't understand it because people were dumber back then i I've, I've heard students say that i'm like no 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 no. it wasn't mm. that they were dumber at all right this this is absolutely a, a kind of a myth which is very interesting to dispel because yeah. when you're learning mathematics you, you kind of think okay so the greeks got to here and then, you know, the Romans did nothing at all. And then, you know, Newton and Leibniz, they got to here, but then Euler got to here. And yeah. I got through all of it in the first year of university or whatever. Yeah. So therefore, I'm, so I'm a higher level I'm a of sophistication. So yeah. the thing is, you, should, you know, one should go away and look at what these people did. And it was just, it's, a, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. And then also, the thing about math is when you're told the answer to something, then it all seems very easy. But right. when you don't know the answer to it, then, right. you know, which way do you go? And so, yeah, no, it's, it's amazing for students to, to discover, for me to discover, just to how smart some of these people were. Yeah, I mean, we talk about astronomy. Like, we mm-hmm. were just talking about Kepler and, and the idea that they could could predict when planets were going to be in the sky. They could predict mm-hmm. when certain constellations... I mean, that's very hard to do. And I was like... And some of my students don't even understand that the moon rotates. I've Give them re- some credit. I got a remedy for this, which is they figured out how far it was to the moon. Mm-hmm. And uh, the way they did it was basic... Um, basic math sort of totally sort of like middle school math but uh you know you ask a thousand people who don't know the answer how how they worked out the distance to the moon it's very hard it's very hard and it was aristotle who figured out the key which is that uh, a lunar eclipse is the moon passing through the earth's shadow and that's a that's an act of genius i think yes you know to, to just to figure that out just to take that first step and then once you figure that out then you can maybe I mean, it's all with hindsight, but may- maybe it's not so hard to actually do the math. 
well, yeah. work it out. But but I mean, there's so many steps. I mean, there's not just that one step. Maybe there's there's quite a few clever steps in that. And so that that's my that's my illustration to people that even though the math that they did, you know, maybe it's just plain geometry. That's all. No calculus. No, they were incredibly clever. They were incredibly good at it, and incredibly good at putting it to use. Right. My example is that I said, prove to me mm. what what. What can you tell me to um, prove that the Earth is going around the sun? Mm-hmm. What What would you do to, mm. to prove to me, and without a telescope? Right, do and that. they can't do it. I'm they not can't. sure I could do it on no, the no on one cold. Can. You know, right. And and what happened is that Galileo pointed out phases of Venus. You know, mm-hmm. and that and that explained that Venus was going around the sun, and we were also going around the sun. And mm-hmm. Because if you don't have a telescope, you can figure out all of predicting where the planets are, all that kind of stuff. You can do it with what these called epicycles or epicycles or whatever you mm-hmm. want to call them, and it still works. You know? Right. So, so Ptolemy I mean, had a theory of epicycles, it, it, exactly. Exactly. So it it is a testament to how brilliant you know humans were, and our brains really haven't changed very much in thousands of years. So, I mean, it wasn't that they were dumber. It's that they didn't have the tools. They didn't have the knowledge that we have. Yeah, going back, I'm amazed that they could do it, actually. Yeah, because me too. In order to figure out all this stuff, you need to know various other stuff. So, I mean, I'm just left in total admiration. I mean, look at all these all these great mathematicians of the past. You realise just how much, much better they were than the cleverest person I've ever met. You right. Know? And so, and, yeah. and, but it makes me sad. They needed the leisure class. They needed the leisure <laughs> class, they yeah. Did. yeah. Oh, yeah, even Kepler. He was very poor, but he needed it, right? Mm-hmm. And Faraday, which we've talked about on a previous show, uh-huh. he was very, very poor. Time is a factor, so it's time to count. Count not the negative actions of one. Speakers of soul say it's time to shout. If you're just joining us, this is Spark Science, and you are listening to KMRE 102.3 FM in Bellingham. I'm Regina Barber DeGraff. And I'm Jordan Baker. Today we're talking about math history with mathematician Dr. Amates Sarkar. What is it? Math magic number. Anyway, let's keep on talking about this idea of that people have really struggled with understanding math. You said that mm. in the very beginning of our show and, and how this is these are hard concepts. But even though they're hard, people are still interested in them, right? I mean, we still see all these things everywhere. Like, like you were saying, um, baseball stats, you were telling me that earlier. I think this is just it ties in with lots of little mini rants that I have. That math, yeah. is, math, math is sort of a creative process and a lot of sort of dispel some myths that hasn't all been done already uh, and so math is still being done both for applications and for its own sake and unlike using math that's already been discovered the process of discovering math is, is a creative one I mean I think it has a lot in common with being a writer or being a, a songwriter being a musician I, I think it's you, you do rely on sort of you know luck and sort of insight born of thinking about something for a long time but there's no rules for doing mathematics I mean you like you were saying it's more broad like um I think you were telling me earlier like Sudoku right I mean this is patterns. yeah so this, the, is, so like... this is the thing I, I kind of you know like a lot of people actually my colleagues at, at Western they say well you know we feel sorry for you because you have to teach math and no one wants to be in your classes and I tell them well actually like not only would you be surprised how interested students are in mathematics not not my class necessarily but right. but also I mean you see people doing Sudoku that is math 
And it's not just the numbers part, that the, it's the logical reasoning part right, is math. Exactly. So anyone doing Sudoku, and I didn't even do it. My mom does it. I'm not I, even interested I in I don't Sudoku. even like Sudoku. I don't like it. But it's, <laughs> so it turns out that I'm actually less interested in math than everybody else because everyone who does Sudoku is into math. Everyone, and uh, like um, baseball statistics is the other thing. I mean, yeah, I do. Baseball. I am not interested, but I love baseball, I, but I don't do the statistics. Right. I have yeah. no interest in baseball stats at all. But if you just, if you, if you, you know, sometimes I watch the television and they just have all this baseball stats and it's almost like they're using the numbers to make it more interesting. And I think people must have some kind of mathematical kind of urge or some need. mathematical urge, yeah, yeah. Because otherwise, you know, they would just be watching how amazing it is this person playing baseball, and they wouldn't be interested in what uh, how many. Uh, I think they're just making up those numbers. I mean, really, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. just like the bigger the number, the better the person is at whatever it is. Well, the, like the batting average. Do you ever do you watch? No, I don't. Okay. Know. <laughs> you don't watch baseball, Jordan. So no. none of us actually know anything. Okay, well, batting averages. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just like how many times a, a player is up to bat, um, how many times they get a hit, right? Uh -huh. um, and a hit is, we don't want to go down this road. No, no, <laughs> but I mean, that that score tells you something about how good of a hitter that baseball yeah. player is. So you're looking at this this value, which if you are interested in math, you understand what that value means. Mm. And then that helps with your anticipation on what you think is going to happen next. Is this person going to get on base? Is, it, is this person going to give you a home run? So, I mean, these numbers it, are predictive, Pre yeah, like it's, they help you but predict. It's, but it's weird to me that people, you know, who and you know claim to have no interest in math actually do actually yeah. participate in things that are kind of fairly mathematical. Even Absolutely. reading a detective story, I think, is a mathematical type thing to do. You know, or, Absolutely. So, so I kind of think that some somehow, I mean, you know, people associate it with trying to follow instructions at school, and then they could sort of never quite do that, and then they were a bit slow or something like that. But I hate following instructions as well. So. <laughs> So kind of it's not the it's not parts that of math that people associate it with that aren't really representative. I don't right. think it's a very inquisitive thing. I mm -hmm. I agree with like if people like to solve puzzles and stuff. Mm -hmm. if, I hate puzzles, <laughs> and I'm a right. physicist or an astrophysicist. So you should like them. I should like them, right? I keep on being told you should like this, you know. <laughs> but I I hate it. I hate um those big picture puzzles Me and too. um hate them mm -hmm. and i hate like the wooden puzzles you get at like the, cra the craft stores and they're like oh and then you do i mean yeah i would be interested in those if i could do them right <laughs> 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 the jigsaw puzzles are just not not interesting right. you know? but, i'm just recreating a picture <laughs> yeah, yeah. basically right. yeah, yeah. yeah and and so it's funny the things that you're right that people actually like that are associated with this broader idea of math that you keep on talking about this this mm. idea of logic really not numbers and equations i mean logic somehow also has these kind of negative connotations because people kind of say you know you're not being logical or mm. whatever and so it kind of i mean but the, the thing is it's there's no way of really saying it without sounding incredibly pretentious but it but it's about <laughs> ideas and connections between ideas really right. which so, is really all of science mm -hmm. and again these are this our listeners and jordan are just hearing me rant about our students but you know a lot of my students get into my physics class and it's a it's a kind of science that they've never dealt with before. They have to make connections. They have mm -hmm. to problem solve. It's not a. It's not an instructional. Mm. You know, step one, step two, step three thing. Right, right. Almost all science is like that too. It's just I think in in my class it's maybe it's just more obvious <laughs> that there's no instructions. But yeah, it, math, science, it's all about like you said, problem solving, making these connections, ideas. I agree right. with you. And, and and that's really good of you to actually make it obvious to them that it's about that. Because I'm really loud. <laughs> <laughs> she yells at them. Yeah. I get this thing sometimes where I set students homework and they say, well, I couldn't, this isn't really math because I didn't know, really know where to begin. Uh, and I say, well, that's where the subject begins. You don't know where to begin. That's, that means you're actually doing math. And of course, people aren't very happy with that. But, no. But if you could just do it all, then we would just program a computer to do it all. Right. 
and yeah. uh, that would and that wouldn't make any mistakes you know so right it would be easy well i mean i don't know why but this makes me think of the curiosity rover on mm -hmm. mars mm -hmm. um, when when melissa was here and when i've had discussion with it and they say like what the curiosity rover can do in like a week a mm -hmm. human can do in a minute uh -huh. right you know cuz i mean a human can think through these problems make a decision on what to do like in the next minute, uh -huh. analyze what, you know, decide where to go. These split second decisions that humans make. Uh -huh. I mean, these are things that I try to teach in science. I mean, we're using our brain, we're solving problems. And like you said, it's not instructional because that's what computers do. And yeah, yeah. it's nice to have the edge somehow. It's nice to have yeah. the edge on the machine, you know. But for now. Yeah, for yeah. now. Damn with the machine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So let's let's go back to history because you know we're advertising this as history of, of, of mm, yeah yeah I should just stick <laughs> yeah, to the should, yeah. Yeah, yeah. oh oh no Focus. I want to go back to this idea again of zero because we're talking about ideas what math is and what were some other like big revolutionary kind of ideas in math and like when did that happen and where on the world did that happen uh, algebra yeah would be a, a good one um, that's uh, Al Khwarizmi wrote a book uh, in which he where was made he from? Uh, yeah, uh, Persia, uh, okay. Iraq. So I mean, he was he was one of the great uh, um, Islamic mathematicians uh, around 800 AD, I believe. So the the word algorithm is is uh, named after him. The word algebra is also named uh, after him. And uh, but uh, it's interesting because there was sort of you know the precursors of algebra even in the Babylonians. But I think he made one of the one of the decisive leaps, which was to sort of talk about the unknown quantity and which, right. which is we now call x or y or something like that or or i call it happy face in my class happy face because so. i i am so angry that people are so used to like five plus x equals ten they're always used to the x. unknown being called x and i was like no it's elephant it's house it's happy face like because i just try to get them away they they need to associate right. something with an unknown a variable right right yeah. right yeah, no, I should try that maybe yeah. as well to do that. Actually, my Seth does hard, that. It's harder to Seth do on a calculator. It, it is. <laughs> it's smarty But, but I, it, it forces them to understand what that means. They really, mm. when they when they see X over and over again, then they store in their minds X is always five. Mm. And then when they see X again, they they come to this like five or they come to like the most common number that they keep on getting for X. You know, I, I, I don't know. I feel I, I think if I see you know. X in any sort of like a number thing, I yeah. you, just wondering why, uh, they just threw consonants into <laughs> numbers and I throw, the, I throw the paper away. You're right. They don't use vowels a lot yeah. for unknowns. Actually, I was just reading about this, but I, I can't remember the exact details. But so, somewhere along the line, someone decided to use, I think, consonants for unknowns and vowels for knowns, or maybe the other way around. But wow. this kind of convention goes back hundreds of years anyway. So I wow. didn't realize that. Jordan was totally I right. Was, yeah. I thought it was just some kind of like thing from the you know 50s or something. But no, wow. it goes back a long way. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I want them to be okay with calling an unknown anything, right? Because if you have mm. to make up your own equations and you have to be like, you know, there are 15 students for every teacher, that they can use right. S for the number of students and T for the number of um, teachers or, you know, star for the number of teachers. But this is, yeah. one of the, this is one of the things where it really helps people to realize that things that they had, they struggled with when they were learning things uh, were things that aren't don't really come naturally to the human mind yeah which is why the babylonians did not have it and the greeks did not have it and then it took you know another thousand years for someone in a completely different part of the world yeah. to to come up with this concept which then just took off because once you can do this it's an incredibly empowering thing i mean right. you can write down equations you can describe the laws of physics yeah. but without that without this idea that you have unknowns which you solve for then you can't really do physics you know and so 
you can't do no. physics or chemistry or anything really yeah. anything in science and but it, but it wasn't a, it wasn't the first thing that came to mind the Greeks were doing really complicated stuff before that wow that makes me think I need to be nicer to my students because <laughs> yeah, I'm like come on they're running through the whole of human history but just like really quickly yeah you know? it's and true so, and it's not just they have to learn all this stuff that happened like who won this battle they actually have to understand this stuff right you know that we know from the historical record does not come naturally so. You're much more understanding. Yeah. Focus is formed by flaunt of the soul. Souls who fall style gain praises by pounds. Common on speakers who honor the scroll. Scroll written daily creates a new sound. Listeners listen because this here is wisdom. Wisdom of a speaker, a dumb and a plug. Set aside a legal substance and feed them for now. Get them high off this dialect jury. Time is a factor, so it's time to count. Count not the negative actions of one. Speakers of soul say it's My name is Omitesh. Sarkar, I'm a mathematician, and you are listening to KMRELP 102.3 FM in Bellingham. Your community, your voice, your station. You may try to subtract it, but it just won't go away. Three times one. What is it? One, two, three. magic number. talk about prime numbers yes uh, let's talk about prime numbers uh, i think it's kind of an interesting thing because to my mind it's sort of an example of just math for math's sake you know these are numbers which have no factors other than themselves and one so two three five seven eleven thirteen and so on keep going um, <laughs> 17 19 but uh, yeah so um you know euclid for example uh 2300 years ago proved there were infinitely many primes we still don't know if there are infinitely many prime numbers, uh, infinitely many pairs of prime numbers which differ by exactly two. So 5 and 7, 17 and 19, right. 29 and 31. That's an unsolved thing in math. So that's just one thing. But, but another thing is that people often say about math, that's all very well, but what is the point of that? Yeah. Uh, and um, prime numbers actually, just com- to, to everyone's complete surprise, about 40 years ago, turned out to be very useful in cryptography, the, the RSA system of cryptography. Uh, public key cryptography so that every time you you purchase something on the internet your credit card number is encrypted uh, using prime numbers or another mathematical algorithm it's just uh, an interesting thing to me that something which was always thought to be the purest of pure mathematics actually gets applied quite a lot Uh, you probably know this I'm sure it's come up uh, on this uh, program before but radio waves were discovered by Heinrich Hertz in in the 1880s and someone has come up and uh, <laughs> and probably also came up that uh, his original um, comment about their use was it's of no use whatsoever. No, that hasn't come up yet. Um, and someone asked him, and he was very, very happy that he'd confirmed Maxwell's uh, predictions right. of, of electromagnetic waves. He said it was, he thought it was amazing. He was writing in German, so I'm, I'm not only am I misquoting him, but I'm... You know, <laughs> Just, in uh, another but, language. In uh, another language. And yeah. then, but, but he was amazed that there are these waves that you can't see them, right. you know, but they're there everywhere. And then within a few years, of course, Bose in India, Marconi, I think in London, actually, were doing these demonstrations of, right. of, of radio waves. So to me, that, that's, that's a perfect example of how 
I shouldn't say perfect because I just came up with the example, but I mean it's a good it's a good example of of how you don't know what's going to be useful, right? And that happens in mathematics as well. It, it happens in all the sciences, right? When we have questions that we ask and we ask for money from the government and mm-hmm. grants and science for science sake grants versus science for application sake, and knowing that science for science sake will someday turn into something that's application is is a wonderful thing, and history has shown us that that's true. Mm-hmm. So I, I agree. We were saying that the pairs of prime numbers haven't been proved yet. There are many of these like um, unsolved things. Yeah, there's a, right? there's a whole load of questions just involving prime numbers. Is every even number greater than or equal to 4 the sum of two prime numbers? That was stated by Goldbach in a letter to Euler in 1742. No one knows the answer. It's about the simplest thing you could imagine about prime numbers. Uh, and uh, no one knows that yet. Goldbach's conjecture. And so these are they, there's very math is full of these very simple questions that uh, you know we can't solve, uh, or we haven't yet. Or we haven't yet solved. Yeah. But interestingly, the struggle to solve them often you know leads to the development of interesting branches of mathematics, which connect with other branches of mathematics and also have applications. So I watched this video a little while ago. It was like the five weirdest ways to become a millionaire. Yeah. And one of them, there was like a million dollars for some math equation that hasn't been solved yet because somebody was trying to solve it. I think it was a Russian guy. Yeah. There are seven, actually, there are seven Millennium Prize problems. And two of them, the Riemann hypothesis and the birch swinerton dyer conjecture, involve uh, prime numbers and number theory. And if you solve those, you get a million dollars. The one that you're talking about was actually solved by a Russian mathematician, Grigory Perelman, in uh, 2003. Uh, but he refused the prize. He refused the Fields Medal, which is a well-known prize in mathematics. Why? I don't know. <laughs> and uh, very, so he, he sort of lives, uh, lives in seclusion somehow in, in Moscow. And people have asked him, why did, why did uh, you decline it? And he says it's because there's somehow that the culture of mathematics is very unfair and gives credit to the wrong people and oh. but I've I've never really understood his reasons. Oh. And well uh, we have three listeners in Russia now. Uh-huh. Um so maybe maybe they know maybe him he's because one of all them, Russian though. people know each other. <laughs> yep. Right right right. That's a fact. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, yeah. um, that's sarcasm international listeners. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So um, so no one no one really knows but but so that but that prize has been deemed to be solved. He actually said about that prize, he said that an equal share of the credit should go to Richard Hamilton, who invented the method. So a lot of the time, oh, someone invents nice. a method and then someone else does something with it. So it's a collaborative thing. But the, but the other six are, are unsolved. I should say that a couple of my friends 15 years ago won a million pounds for solving a jigsaw puzzle. And they what? used math to do it. Wow. It's the eternity puzzle. It was a 209-piece jigsaw puzzle. Well, and pounds are way and more than dollars. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> and so... Uh, that to me was, you know, like you know, evidence that mathematicians can really. So, have you thought about devoting your life to uh, solving one just to become a millionaire? I don't know. I mean, the, the, you ha- you have to be very clever to do this kind of thing. I mean, I I, I don't know. I mean, an I was... accent, so that's a start. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I could they sort were... of just speak at the pieces. Of right. Them, yeah. Right? Exactly. Actually, and they will of... fall into line. <laughs> a lot of people have a British accent, though. What? Know, so... What? Not here? Not, yeah. Not yeah. that I know. Not in Bellingham. Yeah. You win, Amtash. <laughs> But you were saying this collaborative thing and you mm. were talking about, you know, giving credit and not being fair. And this just makes me um, want to bring us to our next section of um, Erdish. Oh, Am I yeah. saying his name right? Erdish, I've... yes. Paul Erdish. Erdish, yes. yeah. And where is he from? And tell us his story because it's a good story. Uh, yes. Uh, so he was um, from Hungary. 
he was a, the most prolific mathematician who ever lived. He wrote uh, 1,500 papers with about 500 co-authors. Uh, was he uh, first author on that many papers or with... Um, it's, it's interesting in math. They have a, a diplomatic system where everything is alphabetical order. So in engineering, and I understand physics, uh, people right. have first author, second author, and so on. But in math... It's kind of nice. They they just they just list the authors in alphabetical order. That is um, that is very nice. And being Barber de Graff, I would have been earlier. So that, that would yeah, be great. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, I mean, mathematics. I think through most of its history was something that people did in isolation. And then Erdős was one of the people who really collaborated with, with people. He knew which problems that he was working on were suited to which mathematicians, and so wow. he created just a huge amount of mathematics. He was a child prodigy, he, I mean, uh, an amazing mathematician, but he traveled around the world. Uh, he had uh, no permanent job. He had no permanent home. He lived out of two half-empty suitcases. Just really... Um, I love that he had two half-empty ones instead of yeah. one full one. Yeah, like Maybe you were, it was like even you were one half, there. It, might, yeah, have been, it no. might even have been one half-empty suitcase, but he had very, very few possessions, yeah. never married, and just really devoted his life to, to mathematics. Towards the end of his life, he took, uh, I think, Benzedrine and, and, and did 19 hour days of mathematics. The amount of stuff he did, I mean, he made really fundamental contributions in combinatorics, number theory, set theory, graph theory, just all these different branches of mathematics. He started some branches of mathematics. Wow. Just this amazing figure in mathematics. So um, what, what was the time span of this? Like 1913 he was born okay. and he died in 1996. Okay. So, so in math, there is this Erdős number kind mm. of association that people talk about. And it's very similar to the Kevin Bacon, degrees of Kevin Bacon. Right. So for our listeners, I'm going to try to explain it. And Amitesh, you can... You can explain it to me too. I don't okay. know what a degree of Kevin Bacon is. Oh my <laughs> yeah. gosh. Okay. So I'll do this for everyone. Um, Kevin Bacon is a wonderful actor. He has most recently been seen in... The one I've seen him in is X-Men First Class. He was a villain in that one. Um, he was in Footloose. I don't know. That's can, recent. Yeah, well, well I'm, tr I'm trying now to give you more examples. What other Kevin Bacon movies are there? I'm gonna. I'm looking to our crew here at KMRE. Hollow Man. Uh, Hollow Man. He he's basically a, a side character in many many movies. But there's something called Seven Degrees of Kevin Bacon, and if you are in a movie with Kevin Bacon, you're number one. Oh, it was Eight Degrees of. Six. Oh, Six Degrees. Oh, sorry. So well, wrong. Yeah, because six degrees of separation. Oh, right. Six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Why did I think of is six? Is that just Seven. an alliteration? I'm or? sorry. I don't know. So six Rhyming. degrees. If you're in a movie with him, that's one. Your, um, your Kevin Bacon number is one. If you are in a movie with somebody who was in a movie with Kevin Bacon, your number is two, and so on and so forth. Now with Erdish, how does that work, Amitesh? Yeah, it works. That if, you, if you've written a paper with Erdish, you have number one. If you've written a paper with someone who's written a paper with Erdish, but you haven't written one with him yourself, then you have an edition number of two and so on. So the same thing with the, with the Kevin Bacon. Right, so if you're an actor and your um, number is one, I think it's kind of good because Kevin Bacon's been in so many movies, it means that you're kind of more connected with the Hollywood you're like crew. like almost famous right, or something. Exactly. Or maybe you are famous. Right, yeah, you yeah, are yeah. famous. But mm. you know, the, the higher your number, I'm guessing, the less famous you are. And with math, it's kind of the same way, right? People are more proud of having lower air dish numbers. It seems so. I mean, of course, yeah. there's different branches of mathematics. I mean, right. if, you, if you were to work in num you know, algebraic topology or algebraic geometry, maybe it's just a different area of study. So, Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, people do definitely. If you go to it's Wikipedia a bragging page, right. if you go to Wikipedia pages, people do seem to put people's Erdős <laughs> numbers. Really, on. I shouldn't really reveal that I go to so Wikipedia. Lame. We all go <laughs> to Wikipedia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, do people do that as like their uh, uh, on Facebook? They're like, I'm interested in long walks on the beach, and I have an Erdős number of three. I've never seen it. If, <laughs> if they're mathematicians, they might. Oh, that's 
Time is a factor, so it's time to count. Count not the negative actions of one. Speakers of soul say it's time to shout. Three forms the soul to a positive sum. Dance to this fix and flex every muscle. Space can be filled if you ride like my lumber. Advance to the tune, but don't do the hustle. Shake, rattle, or roll. If you're just joining us, this is Spark Science, and you are listening to KMRE 102.3 FM in Bellingham. I'm Regina Barber DeGraff. And I'm Jordan Baker. We're talking about mathematical connections today with mathematician Dr. Amitesh Sarkar. So I, I first learned, I actually didn't know that much about Paul Erdős until um, my friend, who we've referenced on the show many times, Dr. Seth Rittenhouse, mm-hmm. he calls me up while we're in grad school and he says, um, starts talking about Erdős numbers and how like kind of frustrated he is that I have a lower Erdős number than he does and he's a mathematician and I am not. And I was like, who is this guy? I don't know what Erdős numbers are. And it turns out that I have a number of two. Tell us the story. Yeah, so, yeah. so, and then you have to tell us yours. Yeah, for sure, yeah. Okay, so I have a number of two because I went to San Diego State um, University for a master's degree. I didn't know what I want to do with my life. So I uh, just got a master's degree in physics. We've all been there. Um, we've all been there. Um, there was one female professor. There was one female grad student, me. She was from Holland. My last name was DeGraff, so for some reason she liked me. I worked with her, and she's a computational physicist. Uh-huh. And she um, was on a paper with Erdish in, like, 1988. Wow. So my first ever paper that I was on was hers. And so my first ever paper gave me an Erdish number of two. That's fantastic. Yeah. 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 I, have a, I have a number of three. Do you? Yeah, because yeah, you I have a you. You. Yeah. <laughs> you weren't on a paper with Dang. him, though. That, you would have, if, if we wrote a scientific paper together, you would have an Irish number of Oh, three. I have to write a paper with you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I have a radio show with you. Is that right. pretty close? <laughs> no. Oh, well. It has to be scientific. Oh, it is scientific. <laughs> um, to add to that, when I was five, I was in a movie with Kevin River Bacon. Phoenix. No, River Phoenix and Sidney Portier, And then the guy who played River Phoenix's dad was in a movie with Kevin Bacon. So I have a Bacon number of two. That must be a record. No? Hey, well, there, there are <laughs> actors. There are actors out there that have, have done scientific work as well. So they do uh-huh. have Erdős numbers and Bacon numbers. But I, I would challenge any listener to try to find a lower Erdős and Bacon number combined. It's four than anyone else. I think yeah. yeah. I think it's probably a record actually. I will I would <laughs> yeah. I think it is. It's nice I'm, to be the record. Right. I think the Kevin Bacon, Bacon thing you have to be like credited granted I was like an extra and you can see me for a couple seconds as a kid but I think it still counts. The question is, was Erdish in a movie with Kevin Bacon? That would just be crazy, you know? <laughs> that would be that crazy. That would just blow my Absolute mind. Absolute zero. All right, tell, tell us your story. I think oh, you have a low number as I well. I have an Erdish number of one, actually. My very Whoa. first paper was a was, uh, joint paper with um, Bela Bolabash, my research supervisor, and Paul Erdish. What? So, uh, yeah. When was this? This was in 1999. Oh, wow. But it's a bit strange because this paper was published three years after he died because we continued <laughs> something that he did. So he right. wasn't really doing math from the grave, but this, this, we continued <laughs> something that, uh, that he was your, on. your story is way better, doing math from the grave. Yeah. And, yeah. That's <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. That's my plan. I plan to do math after I die. Right. Yeah. Well, we need to you know, start yeah. on a project before when Sounds you're 98 like a, or right, something. Right, movie. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's doing math, math from so the grave. So you, having a, a number of one, I mean, I didn't know at the time my advisor, but uh, she had also a number of one, but I haven't met anyone else. Really? Yeah. What, what's your bacon number? 
My ba- I've never been in any movies, so I have well, uh, what's an infinite bacon number. Well, infinite bacon. But- yeah, that's true. That's what I don't know. <laughs> I think so. I think for me, the the interesting part of it isn't isn't so much like kind of bragging rights. It's it's just seeing how how much people collaborate with each other. Mm-hmm. So I think actually the six degrees of separation. Uh, my hero Stanley Milgram uh, did uh, one of his famous experiments was to try and uh, I think there was a stockbroker in Boston and he was trying to get people to send a, a letter or a message to this stockbroker via a, a chain of acquaintances. Oh, And the yeah. idea was that, you know, is everyone connected to everyone else via yeah. short, short links? And so I think a lot of the letters never actually got to their target, but the ones that did got there by very short links. So it's the same kind of thing that everyone knows somebody. Right. On Facebook, for example, I wonder how right. many links it would, Facebook friends, links it would take. Um, to get from you to Beyonce, Beyonce, right? I, I, I'm guessing, and I don't know whether you know this can be proved, but I'm guessing it's probably only about three or four links. It's right. three. Yeah, it's you think it's three? Me, I know a yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. record producer. Really? Yeah. So three links. So there you go. <laughs> think of another celebrity, but it's going to be a very yeah. short link, and right. that's the phenomenon that's interesting to me is that somehow the, the you know whether by a, appearing in movies or writing papers or being friends, we're all a lot closer than than we think we are. I love that because it's very true even outside of physics and astronomy. Mm-hmm. I always think to myself, um, I'm sure you do too, you go to these conferences and you see people that know somebody that you know or whatever, mm-hmm. and it's it's a very small, small group. But what's right. weird is that I've gone to astronomy conferences where I have met people that aren't astronomers or figured out that I've known somebody who is an astronomer, or I've gone to general science conferences and figured out that I know people through various you know connections that are in no way connected to physics or astronomy or even science yeah. you know so it's it's very it's very weird and so, a, a great uh, movie that kind of encapsulates this whole idea was my my date with drew barrymore uh-huh where this guy just borrows a camera from best buy or whatever it was for 30 days and tries to track down and get a date with drew barrymore he does the whole, whole six degrees of separation goes to like her esthetologist or whatever i don't know skin whatever oh it's uh Esthetician, okay. yeah, 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 and yeah. <laughs> uh, But yeah, I don't know. That's yeah, a... I think I think that's kind of really cool. There's lots of ideas that are related to that. One of the things that I think is interesting is that if you think about it for long enough, it's not surprising that you can get from you to Beyonce in about four steps. Apparently and the reason three steps. <laughs> three steps. And the You're reason welcome. is, if that wasn't the case, then. All your friends would be like about a thousand people who would be like your friend bubble. Right. And all those thousand people wouldn't know anyone outside of that group. Right. And that's really unlikely. Right. So it's actually not even all that surprising. But right. it just doesn't really, it always strikes us as surprising. But it's, it's nice. It's nice that we're all connected in this way. Right. So. I mean, you have an Irish number of one and you're from an island. That's you know? right, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I think that it's, it's an amazing thing, and it des- definitely dispels the idea of scientists and mathematicians and anyone kind of in these technology, you know, STEM fields mm-hmm. that we are very is- isolated people that we're like hermits that we work alone. It, it definitely dispels that idea. It, it's funny actually, just but on a, on a personal level, almost all the scientists and mathematicians I know are just interested in every single thing, like literature, music, and so on. So I TV. I don't think TV. I don't think we want to just. <laughs> just do science and right. math i think people you know you know we're interested in stuff just like everyone else but so. yet yet that persists i mean like yet yeah. that idea is still out there and it still gains momentum mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. this is what still gets people to not want to get into <coughs> science you know so yeah i think math. so but i think it's all it, it's changing very rapidly I yeah think, you know 
I think all these cultural norms are, are kind of breaking down quickly. I totally agree. And I'm just going to, I want to say one last thing about um, TV. You were saying that there is a movie coming out about a mathematician. Yes. Uh, so next... I want to hear about that before we end today. Yes, this famous Indian mathematician, Srinivasa Ramanujan, uh, he was an Indian clerk. He, was, he, he had a book on mathematics and he was going through developing all this mathematical theories by himself. Uh, and then in 1913, uh, he wrote a letter to a mathematician, G.H. Hardy, sending him some of his discoveries. Hardy and his uh, friend Littlewood soon discovered that these letters must come from a genius. And so this kind of unknown Indian uh, from Madras travelled to uh, Cambridge, which was the centre of the mathematical world, to work with Hardy and Littlewood uh, on number theory, prime numbers. Uh, so it's just a, a kind of an amazing story. It doesn't You can't really imagine it happening now but well, that's an idea could. social it could, media it could happen yeah actually in some sense it's more likely to happen now because the internet <laughs> yeah. is everywhere so yeah. yeah but i mean at that time it was like an amazing thing to happen and yeah and so and just the you know the the bravery of him to just like send him things and be like hey yeah. you know this is going on i i i have so much admiration for people that have the guts to do that just yeah like, i'm doing this what are you doing right right yeah. that always is what one's supposed to do at conferences but uh, right yeah but and we hide in corners that, <laughs> i'm glad it's not just me but uh, <laughs> yeah so uh, it's also the international language of mathematics you know Ramanjan right. was doing this stuff in india and then hardy and little were doing this stuff in england and then and then they worked together with a completely different styles of doing mathematics and created this amazing mathematics together. And so there's a movie uh, starring Jeremy Irons as G.H. Hardy. Hardy wrote this book, A Mathematician's Apology, which if anyone's listening and interested in the culture of mathematics, it's a very short book. You can get it on the internet, A Mathematician's Apology. I'm going uh, to get it. And uh, <laughs> so uh, and Dev Patel from um, Slumdog Millionaire is playing Ramanujan. They were filming actually in Trinity College, Cambridge, I, I read, and uh, that's going to come out next year. I'm totally going to watch it. Yeah. Alongside the movies about Turing and Stephen Hawking, there'll now be a third movie about a Cambridge mathematician. So. I, I think in the math department, we should just get, we should watch those first two, the mm -hmm. Stephen Hawking mm -hmm. and the um, Alan Turing one, and then we should all go out and mm -hmm. watch this this one when it comes out. Yeah. So who was it who said that mathematicians don't like doing stuff? Yeah. We should totally, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He should, goes outside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Watch, yeah. And then go inside to watch a movie. You know, <laughs> having been outside for five minutes. Yeah. yeah. I got five minutes of sunshine. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for coming to talk to mm -hmm. us. We've actually learned a lot. Our random walk around the history of math. I, w I might actually ask you back on when we see this movie. Sure. And absolutely. we can talk more about this math mathematician and talk more about things that we didn't quite get to today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So hey, it's all about not following instructions. It is. <laughs> yeah. It's about ideas. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's a magic number. Three. Yes, it is. It's the magic number. Three. Somewhere in this hip hop soul community. Thank you for joining us. We just spoke with Dr. Amitesh Sarkar about math history. If you missed any of the show, go to our website, kmre.org, and click on the podcast link. Casually see, but don't do like the soul. Cause seeing and doing are actions for monkeys. Doing hip hop hustle, no rock and roll. Unless your name's Brewster, cause Brewster's a punk. This is Spark Science. I'm Regina Barbara DeGraff. And I'm Jordan Baker. We'll be back again next week. Listen to us Sunday at 5 p.m., Wednesday at 9 p.m., and Saturday at noon. If there's a science idea that you're curious about, send us an email or post a message on our Facebook page, Spark Science. If you liked our show and would like to help us out, go to kmre.org and click on the button donate.
Our theme music is Chemical Calisthenics by Black Alicious. Our feature song today was The Magic Number by De La Soul. The effect is mmm with a daisy grows in your mind. Showing true position. This here piece is kissing the part of the pie that's missing. Where that negative number fills up your casualty. Maybe you can subtract it. You can call it your lucky partner. Maybe you can call it your adjective. But odd as it may be, without my one and two, where would there be my three? Lead, gold, tin, iron, platinum, zinc. When I rap, you think iodine, nitrate, activate. Right, uranium, the only difference is I transmit sound. Balance with some balance, then you add a little talent in. Careful, careful with those ingredients. They can explode and blow up if you drop them and they hit the ground.